I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of James, James chapter 1. We're going to pick up our study of what does it mean or, or how do we get wise and wise in the eyes of God, wise in the eyes of the church, and certainly wise in the eyes of the world in a way that bears witness to God's wisdom. So we're going to be reading today from James 1 verses 18 through 22. And I invite you to read along with me in your own copy of God's Word, or if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you'll find all of today's message notes and the scriptures by hitting the events function um, and uh, more, and then the events function, and you can geolocate onto our church. So from James chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this is God's holy, inerrant, and eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. Godly wisdom, which we have defined as knowing how to do life God's way, or more uh, in a more concise way, we might say it's living life God's way in accordance with the way the creator of the universe has made all of his universe to actually work. We live in a broken reality, yet God's wisdom always leads us to know how to live within that broken reality, but also in light of the fact that we have a renewed and restored relationship with God. So godly wisdom includes knowing at least three things that James is talking about in the passage that I read. It includes knowing when to listen, knowing when to listen. It includes knowing who to listen to, and it includes knowing what to do with what you listen to. All right? So when to listen, what, uh, who to listen to, and what to do with that which you listen to. All right? So James wants us to understand that there is a calling in the life of the believer to be listeners. And specifically, you can find in James 1.19, he says this, Know this, or, or some of English Bibles translate that, Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear. And the word hear there can mean more than just simply uh, like, like the uh, physiological hearing that we get through the ears that God has given us. But it means to not only hear, but to hear with comprehension and to 
listen to it in a way that brings about transformation or obedience. So let me give you an example. If a police officer says, stop, right? That you hear that, you might hear that same word on a television series or a show. It doesn't mean you actually have to stop. But if it's a real life police officer telling you to stop, what should you do? Stop. You should heed it, right? That's the kind of hearing that James is saying. Every person should be quick to hear in a way that brings about conformity to that which you have heard, all right? And we need to know when to listen. Because just like in the illustration that I just gave you, uh, if I'm stopping every time a, a police officer on a television show says stop, I, I'm going to like hold the nacho by my mouth, right? And wait until he says go or something, right? Okay, it's not the same, right? We need to know when to listen. And that has a lot to do with the identity of who is speaking and their relationship with us. So specifically, Scripture would say, listen when biblically wise people are speaking. Listen when biblically wise people are speaking. Um, the, over and over again, in the book of Proverbs, which is the Old Testament book of wisdom, James being uh, in many ways a parallel New Testament book of wisdom, you'll find passages like this from Proverbs twenty-two seventeen: Incline your ear. That means focus your attention on what you're hearing and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Did you hear that sequence? So pay attention to what you're hearing. Hear the words and receive it as coming from somebody who, who knows what is wise and good and true and then apply your heart to that knowledge. You see that sequence working out there. So when the scripture is full of admonishment that says, listen, there are people that God has been speaking to and through and in their lives and they have learned a lot. And when biblically wise people speak, you should be listening. You should be in a learning mode. Uh, you should be listening whenever people who are different from you speak. Um, I think sometimes in the church we've been pretty bad at messaging this out there. Out of our desire to not have our people listen to false teaching, which we're going to address here in just a second, we sometimes get the idea that we should only listen to people who have the same opinions, perspectives, and backgrounds as we do. And so we don't understand people who have different cultural backgrounds from us, people who have different experiences from us, people who have different temptations than we do. We don't do a great job very often in the church of listening to people who are different from us. And certainly when James says, let everyone be quick to listen, he's saying, you know, it, it's not like you should be listening to just people who, in an echo chamber of, of people who think like and talk like you. In the last election, one of the things that shocked so many Americans was how many people thought differently from them. <laughs> because they were busy spending all their time with people who are like them politically and very often socioeconomically. 
And so if all you do is hang out with the same five buddies who all think the same way you do about a political issue or a social issue, then all you're going to hear is that echo chamber, right? And if you only listen to your favorite TV channel or your favorite news source that confirms all of your presuppositions and biases, guess what? You're not listening very well to people who have a different perspective than you. And sociologists are pointing out how this is causing a massive breakdown and tearing in American society because we've forgotten how important it is to listen. Uh, you know, it's very uh, interesting what happens in the United States Congress. It used to be, for, for literally decades into centuries, that in Congress, if a congressman was speaking and giving a speech, he was actually speaking to a room full of people. He had the opportunity to persuade people of a position or a law or something that he wanted to argue for. If C-SPAN ever makes a mistake with their cameras now and zooms out whenever there's a speech going on, you'll notice nobody's paying attention in the chamber and there's like five people in there. We're not even listening or trying to listen to each other. All we're trying to do is score political points. Scripture would say to you, listen, believers, you of all people in humility need to understand that the wise life includes listening deliberately and intentionally with people who are different from you. And by the way, listening does not mean that you agree. But it does mean that you have an intent to understand. And I love how Dr. Tim Keller points out that you can test whether or not you've listened well to somebody by whether or not you can repeat their argument back to them in a way that they would say, yes, that is my position. Not with condemnation or anything else, but, but before you get into debating a subject, you should at least understand the perspective of the person that you disagree with, to make sure you actually disagree with them, right? So you'll find scripture says things like this, the one who states his case first, that's very often our friends and people who are like us, they seem right until the other person comes along and examines them. Until you hear a different point of view and go, oh, you know what, I didn't think of that. And that's surely a component in biblical wisdom. And ultimately, we need to know when to listen when God is speaking, right? And that is always. When God is speaking, we should be listening to Him. Adam and Eve needed to be listening to God in the garden and not listening to Satan, right? They needed to not be listening to each other. They needed to be listening whenever God spoke. Well, too often, we're busy listening to all of the other voices or the voices of our friends on social media, on news, on uh, magazines, on whatever it is that we're doing, people in our church. But you know what? That doesn't mean we're listening to God. So let me ask you this, just as a quick test. How many of you came here this morning truly anticipating not to hear from Pastor Chris or from each other, but to hear God speak to you. To speak to you. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. 
for they do not know they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. When God is speaking, too often we're drowning out his voice because we're busy yakking. We're busy talking. We're busy telling God how it is. By the way, I just finished reading the book of Job. You want to see that, that, um, that exemplified. There's a whole lot of talking. And then God shows up and he says, Who darkens my counsel with his limited understanding? In other words, who's been talking a lot of smack about me without even knowing what's really going on? Right? We need to learn to listen when God is speaking. So, we need to to know when to listen. We need to know who to listen to, right? And I've been talking around that, so let me kind of just pause us here and take a little bunny trail uh, here. We need to know, as part of knowing who to listen to, that there are some people we ought not to be listening to. Okay, there are some people we ought not to be listening to. Throughout Scripture, we're reminded of this truth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 says this. There is a time that is coming, Paul warns Timothy, when people will not endure sound or wise teaching, but instead, because they have itching ears, they will accumulate. And the, and the word there is like, they'll pile up. They'll pile up teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to truth, and they'll wander off into myths. Did you guys catch all of that? People will have itching ears. They want somebody to to affirm what they already think in their heart. It will fit their own passions. And the end result of that is that they will find people to support their own, the position they've already got in their heart. They'll accumulate those teachers so that they don't have to change or be challenged. And, and they'll wander off from truth into myths. This happens inside and outside the church. There are false prophets in the world, and there are false prophets within the church. Jesus himself said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Here's the crazy thing. I've never met a Christian who goes, Man, I was listening to a false prophet. We all think they're sheep. But we don't do a good job of doing what Scripture tells us to do, which is to recognize that they are not speaking in accordance with the whole of God's truth. So, for example, it is possible that a false teacher can get up and use the Bible and the name of Jesus and describe a Christian conversion experience and then end up preaching a hatred that is antithetical to the gospel. That's not a theory. His name is Greg Locke. 
And he proclaims himself to be a Baptist teacher. I'm, I'm picking one guy who's the most famous one right now. The man has like 20 million followers on social media. Can't remember the number. It's millions. It's ridiculous. But he's not alone. People will wander off into mythologies because the truth that they're hearing confirms their own hatred and evil in their own hearts. It affirms their own racist, superior positions. And they do not want to have God change or challenge them. Jesus said, beware of those false prophets. And you test them by seeing if they speak in accordance with the whole of God's truth. Not some piece of God's truth. The whole of it. Jeremiah warned the children of Israel. He says, thus says God, the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain or empty hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. So if somebody comes to you and they say, well, this is, this is a teaching that I have, and they're inside or outside the church, you as a believer should say, let me see where God has actually said that, or whether or not it fits in accordance with the whole of God's Word. It is possible to say that God has certain pet sins that He calls abominations. What's amazing to me is that that usually comes out of the mouth of pride-filled preachers who are actually not recognizing that pride is one of the listed abominations. Self-righteousness is an abomination. It will damn you to hell. Condemnation is forbidden in the church. A failure to love, Paul said, means you are nothing. You're nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But you'll notice they don't preach that. So we have to be careful to allow God's word to speak and test everything against God's word. John would write these words to the church. He said, beloved, beloved, don't believe every spirit... But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test everything against God's Word. You guys should be testing what I'm saying against God's Word. You should be checking to make sure I'm actually not only citing the Scriptures correctly, but preaching them correctly. Because if I'm not, you shouldn't be listening to me. And that is true for any of God's preachers. So, you want to listen in certain places, but not listen in others. Listen to God's true and saving word most of all. You know, in the beginning of the Bible, it says that God spoke and light came out, right? God spoke and the boundaries were set of the heavens and the earth. God spoke and the waters were separated from the land. God spoke, sun, moon, stars, all created. God spoke and birds were put in the air and fish and, and amphibians and all those creatures in the sea. And then God spoke and all the land creatures were created. And then God spoke and dust became man. <laughs> God speaks and life happens. His word is life-giving. And the Bible says that God's true and saving word is what brings us life. So James, if you go back to James 1.18, says this. 
Before James 1.19, when he says, listen, he says this in James 1.18. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word. And he's using Genesis language. He's saying in the same way that God brought forth light and God brought forth boundaries and birds and creatures and stars and Jupiter and all of the amazing things that God forth. He brought you forth by the word of truth. You were brought into a faith relationship with God that you should be a kind of first fruits of God's creatures, of his new creation. In verse 21, which is after verse 19, he says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So here's what I want you to get. The Word of God is designed to speak salvation and renewal over a broken world. God created a perfect world. It was all good until Adam and Eve sinned and broke that world. And now God is speaking a true and better word over his world and creating a new creation. And ultimately, that word became flesh and dwelt amongst us is the way that John put it. Jesus is God's word made flesh. And therefore, we should be listening most of all to him. Listen to Jesus when Jesus speaks. You may think that's obvious. To make the point clear to the disciples who had been with him, for some years, three of them ascend a mountain with him and and they are put into a moment of vision out of their sleepiness. And what they behold as they come out of their sleepiness is that Jesus is now transfigured and a portion of his glory is revealed, that which he has always had. His humanity is sort of peeled back, if you will, and his divinity is exposed to them. And he is surrounded by Elijah and Moses, by the prophets of God who speak God's word, and the law of God represented in these two men who brought these things. So there's the word testifying to the living word, right? And then a voice comes from heaven and it says this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then what? Listen. To him. So God says, the law, the prophets, guess what? They're about Jesus. Jesus himself makes that very clear. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. What does that mean for you and me? It means that when we go to God's word, we go to God's word looking to see and understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is teaching us. We go with the intent to do that which the disciples were instructed on the mountain to listen to the living word of God. And that living word, God's scripture, 
will always lead us to a place of faith in Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross, his, uh, his righteousness gifted to us while He takes all of our sin and bears the penalty and consequences and guilt for it. It's Jesus in the grave as He comes out and brings out the reality of a new life as He defeats sin and death. So we come to believe those truths in faith and we repent of our sins and we are gifted a new birth, all of that through God's Word. Which means, brothers and sisters, when you approach God's Word, maybe it's on a Bible app in the morning, or you open up your old Bible that you've had for 30 years in the evening time to read, here's what is happening. God is talking. And He's telling you about His Son. And He's calling you to renewed faith He's exposing your sin and calling you to repentance. And He's shaping you into the image of His Son through that new birth. It's no wonder Paul would write to Timothy and he'd say, Timothy, from the childhood, from the time you were a little boy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able, listen to this, able to make you wise for salvation. There's a kind of wisdom that overflows with the reality of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, we listen to Jesus, we listen to Scripture, we listen to God's Spirit who now indwells us because Jesus has come and paid that price for us. He has now come and set up shop within us. So in Ephesians 1.13, we are told, In Him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. At some point, every one of you heard the story of Jesus in a new and fresh way. It might be the first time you heard it. It might be like in my case, probably the the 500th or more time that I heard it, but suddenly I heard it in a new way. All of a sudden, the Word wasn't just outside knowledge. It was Word of God coming with conviction and power to take me from death into life, to show me that God had had an eternal plan for me from eternity past, and to call me into a saving faith and repentance. So, hearing the Word of truth, the good news of your salvation, you believed in Him in that moment... You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's why we don't believe or teach that there are separate baptisms of the Spirit and salvation. All of us who heard the good news of Jesus and believed in Jesus were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. God does what He had promised through the prophets. He made a covenant with us, his children, and he put his law within us and he wrote it on our hearts. And he brought us into a relationship where he would be our God and we would be his people. Jeremiah 31, 33 and Ezekiel 36. And, and Jesus says this, listen, when you come to saving faith in me, 
Something happens. The Holy Spirit comes inside you. And when I speak, you will hear my voice. The way he put it this way was John chapter 8, verse 47. Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Period. If you are of God, you're, you're brought forth by that word of truth then you're going to hear when God speaks. The reason why you do not hear God, the words of God is that you are not of God, Jesus says. There are people who hear the good news, just like in Jesus' day, Jesus proclaimed the good news, but not all believed, right? That happens all the time. So they're not hearing in the same way that they appropriate that truth. In John 10, Jesus would say, that, put it this way, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Isn't that interesting? The sheep hear Jesus, the great shepherd, and they don't run away. They run to him and follow after him. Isn't that amazing? So, we listen to, to godly teachers... Because they, and preachers of truth, because they are proclaiming to us the good news of Jesus contained within his word. We listen to the Bible itself when it's speaking. We listen to the Holy Spirit crying out for illumination, just like Jason prayed before today's message. We cry out and say, oh, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And we believe that God wants to speak to each and every one of us. We all need to understand that God has called us to be proclaimers of the truth that we hear. Because when we speak the gospel to each other, we remind each other we're perpetual amnesiacs of the gospel. I, you know, listen, I'll probably forget the gospel by tomorrow morning. And I need a brother or a sister in Christ to speak the gospel. No, I'll know the facts of it. I may know it better than some of you. Maybe not as well as others of you. But it won't matter because I won't believe it. I'll believe that something else is the good news in the moment. And the way that God exposes that is all he has to do is, is make some of my plans go awry. And all of a sudden, everything I believe about Jesus goes out the window. So I need the people of God in my family and in my church to speak gospel truth to me, as the author of Hebrews would say, so that none of us is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, right? And we need that from each other. We need to listen to gospel proclaimers or preachers. Paul would write this to the Romans. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is why we speak the gospel to one another. It's why we, one of the reasons why we gather for worship in this time together on Sunday mornings. It's why we send each other scripture during the week. It's why we pray scripture to and for and over one another, right? So that we hear this good news proclaimed to us in our lives. So we've talked about when to listen and who to listen to. So what do you do with what you hear? 
Now, James is, is very clear. He's so practical here, all right? So flip your note sheets over to the backside because we're going to go through these pretty fast here, all right? Uh, my family likes to tease me because I, several years ago in my sermon uh, while I was preaching, I said, uh, because preachers get going, uh, uh, at least this one does, and I said, listen quickly, my folks. And my family likes to remind me of that line because it doesn't make a lot of sense, all right? Uh, obviously, you guys can only listen as quickly as I speak, but I'm just going to give you a fair warning. I'm about to speak really fast, okay? Because I want you to see five things that James wants us to do with what we hear, all right? Here they are. They're, they're not hard to, to grasp. They may be hard to actually implement. And remember, the first thing is talk less, Talk less. Let every person not only be quick to hear, but be slow to speak, right? Our words, brothers and sisters, matter. We were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know that's a lie. Parents can say terrible things over our lives. And we can remember things that were told us when we were three or five. Children can tease us one time. I, I, I still, every single time there's music played and there's dancing, I hear a high school girl making fun of my lack of rhythm. That's what I hear in my head. Words matter. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, says the book of Proverbs. Our words matter. That's why we speak less. Our words are often sinful. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 10, 19, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. We often sin with what we say. We say something snarky or slanderous or gossipy or selfish or prideful or mean. Our words aren't just the only problem because our words reflect the reality of what is in our hearts. We can say, oh, I didn't mean that when I said that, but that is always a lie. It is true we may not be articulate, we may not have spoken clearly about what we meant as our good intention, but the truth is, usually, 99.99% of the time, we don't actually have a problem communicating. I just, you don't like what I had to say. Jesus put it this way. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure in his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, the words that come out of the mouth are the overflow of what's inside here. And that means what's inside here, so often for me, is angry and self-righteous and insecure and prideful and ugly. Because <laughs> that's the words that come out of my mouth. And I'm reminded that my words and your words will be judged. Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wow. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. 
So certainly wisdom includes knowing when not to speak, right? When to zip it. Nope, not going to say it, right? Uh, uh, in fact, Proverbs would say, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So what do you do with what you hear? Talk less. Secondly, forbear more. Talk less, forbear more. So James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The word forbear means to be slow to take offense. To be patient with the brokenness and weakness of other people. Anger, brothers and sisters, and I am preaching to myself here, is spiritually dangerous and it has real spiritual consequences. Jesus said, "Who I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Did you hear that? In other words, you will have to go before the God of the universe and explain, why were you angry with this person? You will be liable to God's judgment for your anger. So anger is spiritually dangerous and consequential. Now, let me be clear here. Not all anger is sinful. Paul would write to the Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There is a, the, you know, anger is a, is a human response to the brokenness of this world. So if you see something evil happening and you're not angry about it, what that tells you is not that you are more holy or righteous. That's Zen Buddhism, by the way, not Christianity. The God of the universe is angry when he sees children being aborted, when he sees the murder of innocent children in classrooms. The God of the universe is angry when he sees sexual abuse happening, and he's angry when his church covers it up. And his people should also be angry. Because not all anger is sinful. But most anger is. Because we take that holy and just impulse and we let it reign and have dominion within us. It becomes something that isn't from God. It becomes a work of the flesh. Paul, citing the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19, and 20, and 21, lists these. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Enmity, that's making other people your enemy. Strife, that's the kind of conflict we have whenever I'm not getting my way and you're in my way. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Those are all signs of unrighteous anger, right? And Paul goes on to say, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oof. Because they're works of the flesh. Hasty anger, anger that is not controlled and restrained, is foolish according to Scripture. Whoever is slow to anger... Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Exalts folly. 
So you need Holy Spirit strength to restrain and shape and channel your anger into righteous actions. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And here's a truth that may help you. It helps me. All anger has limited fruitfulness. All anger has limited fruitfulness. James says, For the anger of man... Not the anger of God. There's a holy anger against that which is evil, right? But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the, let, me, let me translate that for you. Not one of you has ever changed and become more holy and more godlike because your pastor got mad at you. Right? And not one of you has ever ang- been angry with your child in such a way that you led them to truly understand the holiness and righteousness of God. Not one of you has led your partner, your spouse, into the righteousness of God by getting mad at him. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That does not mean there are not things to be angry about when your children sin or they're disrespectful. There might be some holy anger there. When your spouse and you have conflicts that you need to resolve, there might be some anger there that is not unrighteous, especially if you've been treated unjustly. It might not be wrong for a preacher to be mad at his church if they're not following Jesus. Here's the problem. We don't keep it in that nice, restrained, holy anger place and then say, oh God, my anger, the anger that's inside me won't change anybody. It's the kindness of God that leads to people to repentance. And I need to act like you. So help me to do righteous things, even where I am angry, in such a way that it brings forth fruit. Okay, can't belabor the point because we're going through these quick. Talk less, forbear more. Number three, discern and dismiss effectively. Here's what I mean. Go to James 1.21. James says, okay, after you've, you've stopped talking too much and you've started to listen more and you're restraining that which is angry, he says, therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness. When we are listening to God's word, it should call us to a place where we begin to change. We see the evil that is in our lives and we put away that which is dirty in the eyes of God and that which is wicked in the eyes of God. And certainly that means we put away evil speech. Paul uses similar language writing to the Colossians when he says you must put them all away put away anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Put it away. It's like and, and, and the image, scholars tell us that they're using this word put away, is like stripping off dirty clothes and putting them aside and burning them and destroying them. Put them away. Instead, we put on blessing, right? It's not enough to get rid of something. We have to fill our, our lives with the, pow, the positive power of a new and expulsive affection, right? It's the way Thomas Chalmers put it, right? So we want to have that new thing. Don't just put something off. Don't run around naked. Put on something. What do you put on? You put on a spirit of blessing. 
a spirit of blessing, an intention to do good. And let me show you how that applies to speech, particularly given our context. Paul would write this to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 29. He would say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Okay, put that away. This is not just saying dirty words. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying. No speech that is corrosive. Go hang out in the South. You'll see how people can talk to each other oh so politely and say terrible things. We watched a movie the other night, uh, and, and one of the joys of watching the movie, because you're not experiencing it, was it supposed to be like, you know, during the 1800s in England and stuff, and all these sophisticated people had these really caustic and evil things they could say to each other politely. So that's not just limited to crude speech or dirty words. When Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, he's saying, get rid of that which is corrosive, put that away, but instead, only such as is good for building up. Instead of something tearing down, speak that which builds up somebody that is fitting to the occasion. In other words, there are times to not say certain things even if they are true, right? It's got to fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What an amazing test. If I could remember this all the time, it would totally transform my speech. It's something I pray for and work towards. God, I only want to say that which builds up somebody, right? Now that may be even some hard truths, You're going to speak the truth in love, Paul's going to say. But it needs to be fitting for the moment. And ultimately, the goal is to cause them to encounter the grace of God. So he goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, here it is, so put that away. What do you put on? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's amazing how quickly we take offense when somebody treats us poorly, but how we justify treating others. There is a candidate for the SBC presidency this week who's been talking about how he believes messengers at the convention in the last few years have been treated poorly by the chair. By the person up at the front. Now, I've been at at least two of those meetings, and and I don't have the same perspective. I don't think those people were treated poorly. I think they were treated fairly and within the rules. Now, whether or not the chair was applying the rules equally, I don't really know. Maybe some partiality, but they weren't treated badly. They were treated accordingly within the rules. What's interestingly, to, what's interesting to me is that that candidate treated his fellow messengers terribly on mic and on film. He understood that he wanted to be treated a certain way, but he didn't want to treat other people that way. Right? And isn't that just like you and me? I'm not picking on my brother. I want you to understand that. I know what that's like. Don't you? I want people to be nice to me and say nice things to me and say kind things and building up things to me. But what so often comes out of my mouth this week is not nice. Right? 
God, I want people to say nice things to me. And God's like, yeah, but look at your speech. What are you doing with it? Okay, got to move on. But you get my point here, right? Talk less, forbear more, and discern what is evil out of our mouths and dismiss it. Get rid of it effectively. Fourth thing, receive humbly. Receive humbly. James 1.21 goes on to say, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness what? The implanted word. How are we to receive God's word? With meekness. With humility. Can I ask you if that's true of you? When God speaks to you clearly through His Word, through a message, through a podcast, through a fellow believer who speaks truth into your life, is your first response to humble yourself to that truth? Or is it to defend yourself? God, I'm not that bad. Spouse, I'm not that bad. Child, I didn't mean that. Right? Receive with meekness the implanted word. God has gifted you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've you've placed your faith in Him. Guess what? Part of the Spirit coming to indwell you is that He has gifted you with spiritual ears. Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. When you go to God's Word, it's no longer with spiritual blinders on. Those blinders have been removed by the Holy Spirit of God. When you go to the Word of God, it comes to life to you. This Word is very near you, it says in Deuteronomy. It is in you and near you and around you. It's the Word of God alive around you. You've been given ears to hear it. Others may hear the parables and the truth, but they see, but do not see. They hear, but they don't understand. Because you've been gifted spiritual ears, listen to God who is speaking. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him do what? Hear. (laughs) Hear it. Hear what God has to say. Listen with those spiritual ears that God has given. Listen carefully. Jesus would go on to say, take care then how you hear. Be careful with what you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. If you are not listening when God is speaking regularly into your life, why would God keep talking? You ever been in those conversations where you realize you started to say something at a dinner table or in some conversation and you realize no one's listening to you? Do you want to keep talking at that moment? Maybe for a bit you try and talk over. That's one of my tendencies. But then you realize they're not listening. I'm just going to shut up. Jesus says guess what? If you're not going to take care with what I'm speaking into your life about, what you have will be taken away from you. We need to weigh that seriously and listen humbly and repentantly. The author of Hebrews exhorts us over and over again, today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. If God is speaking to you, listen. The Holy Spirit would say to you, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, what a great responsibility it is to receive the Word of God with humility, to let it bear fruit in our lives. We're to listen fruitfully with the intent of the Word being a seed. Jesus uses this analogy throughout like Mark 4, where the Word of God is, a, is the seed of God and it's put into soil. But you realize that not all, of, although the seeds are the same, the soil is different, right? There's the rocky soil and, and Satan comes along and snatches away the Word of God. There's the shallow soil that has no real depth. And what happens there? The little plant springs up, but it never grows anywhere because there's no depth to the soil. And it ends up drying up and withering away without there being any real fruit. And then there's plants that are, th- that are, are seeds that are thrown in thorny soil. They grow, but guess what? The thorns choke them out. And Jesus says the thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Right? But there's a kind of soil that receives the implanted word of God. Jesus says this, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They accept it, they receive it, and they bear fruit. The word of God is intended to bear fruit in your life. Always. Always. Which brings me to my fifth thing James wants us to do with God's Word. Act consistently with that Word. So he goes on. We're going to spend a whole message on this, but... Acts 1, or James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only because guess what? The only person you're fooling is yourself. Deceiving yourselves. Dr. Russell Moore has said that one of the reasons he believes that so many people are leaving the church, and by the way, they are leaving by the millions right now is not, he says, because they don't believe the truth of what we preach and proclaim, but they have come to believe that we don't believe it. And the reason why is because we don't act in accordance with what we say is true. And the world hates hypocrisy, as they should. So if we're receiving the Word of God, but it's not changing us, we tear down the witness of God, and we act like His Word doesn't have power. James is going to say that we are called to do that which we hear, lest we deceive only ourselves. Obedience to God's Word reveals our eternal reality. Do you know that? Not everyone, Jesus said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, keep in mind this, many people will call Jesus Lord, but they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Lots of people claim Jesus is Lord, but he's not actually Lord of their life. They don't receive the word. They're not changed by the word. They're not transformed by the word. Obedience reveals not only our eternal reality, it reveals our relationship with God Himself. 
Jesus said, my mother, my brothers, my sisters are those who hear the word of God and muse on it and think about it and reflect on it and teach Sunday school lessons about it. No. He said, my mother, my brothers, my sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do that which I've said. And obedience reveals to us the place of God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, the great lie that Satan gives us is this. He causes us to question God's word. It's what he did to Adam and Eve. Has God truly said? And then he lies about what God has said. You will not surely die. And then he will say there's a greater blessing away from God. You will become like God. You can decide what is good and evil. You can decide the place of blessing. And all of us, thousands of years later, still believe those same three lies. It's amazing how effective they are. But what if Satan's wrong about all of them? God's word is true. When he speaks, we enter into a place of operating the way that he wants us to operate. And that is the place of great blessing. He's not trying to withhold good from us. He's trying to pour forth His good upon us. We so often look at God's Word and say, God's trying to stop me from being what I want to be. Yes, because what you want to be is a fool driving off a cliff. And God is saying to you, don't go driving off the cliff. John quotes Jesus as saying this, If you know these things that I'm speaking... Blessed are you if you do them. The blessing of God comes from obedience to the received word of God. Let's pray and ask God for that grace. Oh, Father, help us to become a people who hear and receive your word. Give us discernment when things aren't from your word. Let us test wisely, lovingly, carefully with humility. Let us receive the implanted word which brings us to a place of salvation. I pray for anybody here who doesn't yet trust in you. They would come to saving faith in you through hearing the word of God. I pray for most of us, Lord, who profess to follow you and who want to be uh, child child, your children. Um, God, I pray pray that we would overflow with these things that James has called us to, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, that we would discern what is righteous behavior and we would receive that implanted word that we may find ourselves in the place of fruitfulness and blessing. And we ask that you would do all of this by your grace and for your glory in Jesus name. Amen.